0: Welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. How's it going, man? It's going good. It finally stopped pouring rain. It's it Wednesday di- today. It did. It finally yeah. stopped
1: pouring rain. I got everything done in the house. It's organized. Uh, finally moved in.
0: The TV looks really nice.
1: And, and then my new Milwaukee uh, vacuum showed up, so that's nice. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's how it goes, right? Everything else is clean. Everything's done. But uh, super excited for that. Yeah. No more cords. Yeah. Oh, I'm cordless. <laughs>
0: yep yeah uh that's a good segue i'm yes. just gonna jump right into it because yeah. that was the uh, carter automotive group tip of the week uh that nick and i were talking about we did some odd cleaning yes um one of the things right now it's fall here in washington everything's dirty it rains like crazy and then it's really sunny and so you have sand and dirt and stuff blowing everywhere and we talked about cleaning your car to no end on this show so i'm not going to rehash that but we found uh, we talked about a couple episodes back um about how now is the time where all those cute little critters are going to start moving into your garages and your cars and things like that. Yes. One of the things people neglect is the areas, the access points into their shops. And since Nick just got a new vacuum, he can do this, but, um, <laughs> and a new garage and a new garage. Yes. yes. Both of those things. You want to make sure you clean out those crevices by your garage door, especially that check that lower garage door seal. Um, obviously that's where moisture is going to get in, but that's also, it doesn't take a lot of space for a little mouse to get through. We're talking yeah. like thumb hole sizes, more than enough room for a little mouse to get in make a very comfortable space in your shop namely your car where it's nice and warm and that they love wiring especially british
1: wiring i found that's out. right so, yeah, yeah yeah they like to yeah. chew on everything yeah, exactly. so
0: <laughs> make sure you check all those access points to your shop and make sure that they are blocked off screened off uh that's the, it's funny because it's such a cheap fix most of the time it's a simple like brush it off make sure it's sealed yeah yeah i mean even but all those little access points it's just mm-hmm. the little screens i mean they cost almost nothing and you're talking like a couple dollars to save you potentially thousands of repairs yeah. come winter when you pull that nice sports car you've been hiding out yeah. as i'm sure the triumph will get a lot of love this winter driving around <laughs> i'm you know i
1: you know you me, do drive I, I am not against if it's you know the middle of winter and, and the, the road is dry i will take it out of course, yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. so
0: anyway uh, if you got that yeah you're gonna use your new little milwaukee vac and yep. before you do all that i'm gonna just double this one up one of the things that people neglect all the time to get a brand new shop back go to costco get the the, the, mm. the shop back special everybody loves order the bags yes i don't know i mean the only time you don't use a bag in a shop vac is when you're vacuuming up uh some water yeah and so other than that they they keep the dust down from flying all over your shop they keep dust every- tends to
1: go into the vacuum and out the back of the vacuum yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and, and, then, and clean your filter your filters will stay yeah filters too. will yep.
0: stay yep. infinitely cleaner um and you can clean your shop vac filters or some of them but you can also get different types of filters for your shop vac so if you are cleaning a bunch of um really dusty stuff like it's a, like i've been going through my shop obviously we've made a mess a million times i'm cutting and i'm all sorts of stuff plastics foam for insulation i'm cutting uh, wood like crazy so there's sawdust everywhere and i've got a hepa filter in my dewalt with a bag and so that thing acts as sort of a dust collector slash vacuum but it really keeps the air clean inside the shop and that's really important so excuse me if you haven't done that get a bag for your for your shop back i mean and I will say, unfortunately, at least for mine, the DeWalt ones fit a lot better than the generic no name brandlets off Amazon. So yeah. I, I, they hold a lot. I have a pretty big shop bag, so I don't have to change it like more than once a month. So I will just spend a little extra and get those bags. But if you're going to, if you're going to get a shop bag, put a bag in it right now. And uh, yeah, it helps yeah. a lot getting all that dust out of there. But
1: also take the bag out if you're going to suck any water. Yes. So, Otherwise, you know,
0: it'll just, the bag will fall you'll, apart. You'll instantly. ruin the bag. Yeah. yeah. You'll ruin the bag and, yeah. and it'll just, all that water will seep right through. You'll end up with a, soup of dirt and yes, crap pretty much yeah. and i've got the uh, the spider wars i think have come to an end they've probably been there <laughs> oh god we shot back yeah. yeah we stuck up the spiders and the shot back yeah anyway uh this week's guest, uh boy where do we even start with a guest like wade I mean, kawasaki probably five
1: or six it's not six well, years ago we've
0: known wade about six years yeah. but wade has had an impact on this industry since his early days all the way back to dub magazine that's right through coker tires um and now, uh, well, Wade, welcome to the show. What is your official title now with uh, the Wheel Group? Is that what it is?
2: Yeah, it is the Wheel Group. Thanks. And hey, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, fun uh, fun time. I'm looking forward to chatting. And yeah, so I'm the executive chairman of the Wheel Group, and we're made up of nine wheel companies, a tire company, and then a couple of overlanding uh, uh, companies that uh, we've more recently requ- acquired. And Hopefully, if I'm doing my job, we'll acquire a few more here shortly.
1: <laughs> Always adding to the to repertoire. Well, Wade, like That's I said, it. Dan and I met you, I think, originally in Monterey. It's got to be five or six yeah. years ago. Uh, you've been a big part of, of Monterey. You've been a big part of Conne- uh, Connect to Cars with Concorso. You've been a you've been a guest and now a host. When Dan can't come, uh, Wade mm-hmm. steps in and, is, and helps us host. Yeah. So, um, and I thank you for that. But I kind of want to. I always want to kind of go back and, and get. I always ask this same question, and I, and I call it my my car, my Hot Wheels collection or question. Like, where did the car love come from? Were you a kid like us that had ten thousand Hot Wheels and Legos and things like
2: that? Yeah, of course I did. I mean, I, I think uh, Hot Wheels is where most of us kind of start our our car collecting. That was my first car collection, <laughs> and uh, still enjoy and still own a bunch of Hot Wheels uh, and uh, a few cool Hot Wheels containers uh, that are vintage. <laughs> back from uh, the 70s nice. when i was when i was collecting those but yeah, you know that's where it started uh, i was very fortunate my father owned a little corner gas station a shell gas station in downtown la and you know he owned that and from the 60 you know starting from the late 60s so in the early 70s when i was 12 13 years old i had the opportunity to pump gas and, and you know back then we actually checked oil yep. and checked air in the tires and washed windshields and the cool thing about that was they'd open their hoods of all of these at the time, new or newer muscle cars. And the great thing is they, on the valve cars and on the air cleaners, they'd have, hey, how many cubic inches it was, how many horsepower it was, uh-huh. what were the options? And that's where I really started getting my love for muscle cars and being able to get a great education by reading air cleaners and valve covers and then doing a little research and we do the same thing. You go check the air in the tires, and now all of a sudden, you get to see all these cool wheel and tire packages that either came on the vehicle stock, or that these people were adding to their cars to make them look cooler. So, really had a had a great upbringing. We'd wash their windshield and wash their side windows and the back windows. So you get to see the different interiors that were offered in the different years. So had a great education, a great kind of foundation and love for muscle cars.
1: Now I'm sad I never worked at a gas station. I know. I never thought uh, of it that well, way. You, you just painted that picture where it's, like, amazing. And I think uh, uh, for our younger listeners, I mean, I know so many people are used to walk driving up to the gas station. You do everything yourself. Maybe not in Oregon anymore. But, like, this used to be it. A full-service gas station. They would pump your gas. They would clean your windshield. Put Put air in your tires. Yeah, well, put- it was a
0: service station to gas station. Service now station. it's a gas yeah. station. But then it was a service station because I mean, there's still a few hanging out around here. Like the, I think the Chevron in Medina, which nice. everybody are yeah. far away. Listener know, listeners know Medina is where Bill Gates lives. But that's like the nice neighborhood, and there's still a full-service Chevron there that does that.
1: Every time I think of a gas station attendant, I think of Steve Martin and the Jerk. When the guy's shooting at him, he's like, <laughs> somebody's trying to effective. kill these cans. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome. So that, that, I mean, that taught you about cars, obviously. And, I mean, it's one thing to read about yeah. a car. But when, when something with a Hemi comes up to, up to you and, and needs gas and you can see it and hands-on, yep. that's amazing.
0: Yeah.
2: It, sure. was. it was. It was cool. It was very cool. So how
0: did you get your start? I mean, you've really, let's say, besides, I guess, SEMA was kind of an overarching role, but you've really been in the tire and wheel industry for, well, since Dub Magazine is where, at least as far as I know, how did you go so specialized into that?
2: Yeah, you know what? It actually, that came kind of later. I I think initially, you know, I started out drag racing, and I was very fortunate. I grew up two blocks away from Ascot Park. Many of you, your young viewers are not going to have any idea (laughs) what Ascot Park was, but it was a great place, dirt track, great place to learn. Raced motocross there when I was a kid. Uh, later on, went up to West Coast Stock Cars. But uh, then I started drag racing and basically just owed the local speed shop more money than my dad was paying me pumping gas. So uh, that was my entree in the industry. I either have to work for them or, or uh, go to jail. So I thought it'd be better if I just worked for them. So I uh, worked for a service center. Uh, At the time, we had about 40 service center stores in Southern California, Nevada, and a warehouse that serviced about 2,000 jobber accounts. So really, that's where it started for me, is in the kind of retail speed shops, being able to help people build cars, build race cars, offer support, whether it was at the drag boat races or drag races or or at Ascot or or Riverside International Raceway. And uh, I got my start there.
1: Now, I'm assuming, did, did you, your father had a, was it full service, the Shell? Like, I mean, was he, were they repairing cars too, doing mechanical things? Yeah, full, okay.
2: Full service and mechanical. Full service and, and it was so cool, because back then, I mean, we had drum brake lays and disc brake lays. We did valve jobs in a two-car garage. So, uh, <laughs> it's much different than, than life today.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a good use of space, I think, of anything. Yeah, so, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's kind of where you learned your knowledge as far as how to work on cars and things like that.
2: Yeah, that is, and and then of course you know every gas station back then, especially in Southern California, we had a race car, and so that's kind of where that started. He he sold a Shell station in downtown LA and got one in <clears throat> a mobile gas station Gardena, and it was literally three blocks from Iskandarian. Oh, so wow. there was Iskandarian, Arias, Keith Black. I mean, all these big engine builders right wreath automotive all of them were almost within walking distance of my dad's gas station so uh that's where it got started my 57 chevy used to sit on the trailer right out in front of the right out in front of the gas station
0: that's amazing i was going to ask you about that about what what was your first foray into motorsports? i i know you said you grew up racing motocross at the track um but in in, as far as the car area what, what was your first foray into that what cars did you have
2: So my very first car, I'll never forget this. I was uh, 15 years old and a guy came in with a 64L Camino. It was a a friend of my dad's and uh, it needed a, it had a blown head gasket. We gave him a estimate on how much it would cost to replace the head gasket and do a valve job, get it all back together. He said, this car isn't worth that much money. So I don't want to do it. And just kind of left it there for a while. And finally my dad told me, Hey, you gotta get, you gotta come take your car. Right. I said, I, I, the guy's name's Joe. So I'll never forget that. And. I said, hey, Joe, I'd like to buy that 64 El Camino for you. So I want it as my first car, and I'll fix that, and I'll do the valve job. He said, okay, great. How much are you willing to pay me for it? I said, hey, I'll pay you $200 for your El Camino that doesn't run. He goes, oh, wait, it's worth way more than $200. So you got to give me more than that. And I just held out. I held out at $200, bucks and my dad was putting pressure on him to get rid of it. So finally he said, okay, I'll, I'll sell it to you for $200. It's a like, great and I went in my wallet, and I handed him $20. And he said, what is this? "There's You're $180 short. And I said, no, that's my first monthly payment. So I'm going to pay you $20 for 10 months, and that'll be the $200. So yeah. that was uh, the story of my first car. And by the way, I still own that car.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Your poor father was trying to get rid of the car. Good luck. You're like, oh, by the way, I own that now, so it's going to stay there <laughs> for 10 months. <laughs> 10 months. <Yeah. laughs> for at least 10 months. Yeah. That's amazing.
2: But, I, mean, I, got to, I got to pull the heads off of it do a valve job on it. We had had a Powerglide automatic transmission, bought a B&M shift kit for it and installed that myself. So yeah, it was a, kind of the beginning of being able to not just sell products, but actually understand how they worked and, and how to install them. So it was fun.
0: Well, so what have you done to that car over the years? Because I know you, so you just kept it stock and oh, no, perfect? Uh,
2: no, literally, it just stayed stock. Uh, it was a Rochester four-barrel, 283. And it literally stayed stock. And I went on to different cars. My dad used it for a shop truck for a while. And then it just sat there. And it, it, it sat parked. But now I do have it in a shop. Uh, so hopefully we'll put a chassis underneath it and a LS engine in it. And uh, there you have go. it with air conditioning and power steering and all the good modern accoutrements uh, that they have. And uh, we'll put it back together.
0: That's so much easier to do now to upgrade them because it's just a kit for oh. everything. Especially in El Camino. I mean... Pretty much, well, and I'm sure there's
1: a few people he can reach out he to might know a few as, resources. You know, yeah, a few resources here <laughs> and there. So, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there's it. good wheels and tires on it. That's true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's the only thing good on it right now. But, uh, <laughs> I see. Nothing. We'll slide slider roadster shop chassis underneath it. And, uh, there those you Those guys go. are good tires of mine. Unfortunately, they're, they're they build such a great product that uh, they're pretty far backlogged. So it's going to be a little while.
0: Nice. Yeah, those guys are legendary. So that's going to be a sweet ride. I can't wait to see yeah, it. They um, you, you, we talked about wheels and tires. I actually do want to talk about this because I've been having this conversation with somebody uh, just the other day. Um, we're seeing a lot more cars with factory carbon wheels. Mm-hmm. What I'm also right. seeing is a lot more factory carbon wheels get tossed because they're a pain. They, they keep cracked, cracking and, like, yeah. and people don't right. actually want them. In fact, Porsche played with it and went, nope, all magnesium. GT500s right. are, so we're seeing those get like explode at the track. Um I would like to your thoughts on the wheel industry where it's going those technologies what are you seeing in that since you're right at the forefront
2: Yeah you know it, it, I'll tell you what it, it's going in a lot of kind of divergent and a lot of different areas right now you're right they are having some problems with carbon wheels although I have carbon wheels on my 4GT and they're just fine have done it's track days with it just fine uh it does take a lot of special handling so it's a very expensive wheel uh to own but, you know, there's there's been great strides in, especially in forged wheels now, where they're using, you know, better metals, they're, ro- you know, rolling those uh, barrels. And so you get a wheel that's very lightweight, but still very strong, And and you can really design finishes the way you want them to. And so, yeah, that's really coming to the forefront, I think. Also in the lower price market where you get cast aluminum wheels, of course, the flow form wheels are now really gaining popularity. We are coming out at SEMA show with uh, half a dozen new flow form wheels uh, between our Turin line and our Riddler lines. And so uh, those wheels, again, they're, they're cast aluminum to start with. They're flow formed out. So they're lighter, they're stronger, and we could do a lot. We could do a lot of different things with design that we couldn't do with a strictly cast wheel.
1: I don't think I know what the process is for flow form to actually, can you, can you simplify that for for a a simple person like me? (laughs) How that works?
2: Sure. So a flow form wheel, it's a cast wheel that's unfinished. And then they use heat like a forging to form the last part of the wheel. So we can form the outer lips. We can form the barrel and we can build a wheel. Like I said, that puts the metal where it needs to be. So the wheel is the strongest yet take aluminum away from those areas it doesn't need so we can make it lighter. So it's kind of the best of both worlds for both styling and for performance.
1: I thought it involved water. You know, Wade was learning to swim and scuba and he's down there pounding <laughs> on wheels. So, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. what I figured. Now,
2: yeah.
0: I've seen forged prices come down quite a bit over uh, yeah. just in the last 10 years or so. I mean, it used to be forged was uh, clearly stronger but and lighter, but also extremely expensive. Yeah. Um, and now I've, I was talking to some guys uh, that were... Representing BBS, and they were saying how like uh, Ray's engineering over there in Japan has like a, one of the few ten-ton presses in the world, and BBS uses a nine-ton. What's the difference in that with forging and how that works?
2: Yeah, so the larger the press, the more you can do, right? So you because with any forging, it's all about how you move the metal, right? Yeah, and so being able to move the metal in the way you need to move that metal creates that much stronger forged wheel, and and of course it's it's a lot lighter, so. And then, of course, most of the race car wheels that you see are all forged wheels. Interesting. I
1: mean, I'm learning 10 times more than I did. Why don't you ever teach me this thing, Dan? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to, I mean, thank God we have friends like this. But all right. So, if we're going to be talking wheels, I do want to talk about uh, how you were involved with Dub Magazine. Because that's, I mean, that. As growing up in that era, when when yeah. when people look and go, oh, he's got twenties. Those are huge, and now there's cars coming out with twenty fours and things like that. Yeah, explain how you kind of transitioned from you know, obviously you were learning how to market in the automotive world. you learned how to work on cars. How
2: did you end up with Dub? So that's a longer story, <laughs> but I, it, it <laughs> remind me to tell you the story about the twenty inch wheels. I, okay, I got a okay, yeah, story on twenty inch wheels. Yeah, but uh, prior to that, uh, you know, I was working at these speed shops. And uh, I was 26 years old, and we my wife and I rose she decided we decided, hey, we want to open up our own business we want to really control our own destiny and I was very entrepreneurial and in, in what I did and and my and rose my wife was a great partner to me not only in life but also in business. so I was out there smiling, kissing babies, shaking hands, <laughs> selling products, and she was making sure all my promises came true so we were the like the perfect business match uh, as well, and so we started I, a company, Exports International. I've had a chance to
1: to meet Rose. She's a wonderful, right. wonderful person. Great handler, as she says. So, yeah, <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> she is. She is a great handler. Absolutely, and handle me, That's a absolutely full time job. <laughs> so that's that's a that's, yes. a that's a good thing too. But I was so we're at I, I was running speed shops at the time, multiple speed shops, and we had a lot of people coming in from overseas, and they were literally buying parts. Putting it in their suitcases, throwing away all their clothes, and taking them back to Scandinavia, wherever they were from. At this time, a lot of the Scandinavians were buying American muscle cars. So they were coming back and and getting the parts. And I, and I, so I, at the time, I I told my boss, Hey, we need to open up an export division of the company. They said, Way, we have more than we could do opening up stores, and we have no interest in doing that. So kind of took that proposal, turned it into a business plan, and out of our, 800 square foot home in Gardena, California. We opened Exports International uh, back in 1986, so uh, a few years ago, and started selling and consolidating U.S. performance products and marine products and shipping them overseas. It was primarily Scandinavia at the time. We branched out and started doing Australia, New Zealand, uh, uh, throughout the Pacific Rim. And uh, that's really the kind of the start of my career in business and my career as an entrepreneur. Uh, I got involved in SEMA very early, and I said, "Hey, I just started this business. I really have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know. I we've started an export business. I don't know how to ship anything overseas. Is there a way that you can help me?" And and I'll tell you, the guy I remember sitting down, and now, gosh, I I'm losing his name, but with a at the time the vice president of membership at SEMA, uh, Don Turney, and uh, sat down with them, and and Don laid this out for me and helped the business and helped us and did all the things that SEMA was supposed to do, right? Help our members succeed and prosper. It sounds really cliche, but it's actually what they did for me and helped me to grow this business. We went from myself and Rose's only employees to a from our house to 3,000 to 15,000 to 30,000 square foot to dozens of employees, shipping products all over the world because of that foundation, SEMA was able to help us build. And because in, oh, it was, it was uh, interesting because at that at one of our meetings at CIMA, he said, hey, Wade, we've got a group, a small group of young executives that are in the conference room. We'd like you to join them. And we'd like to start a group that really specializes in helping young people in our industry. And that meeting, along with a handful of other folks uh, in that room, was the beginning of the Young Executive Network again. Okay. And so now trans- transition that. To- To 2023, there's I don't know well over 3,000 members again, helping young people really get their start in our industry or help them succeed again to succeed and prosper. And because of that, I was getting some amount of uh, notoriety within SEMA. Miles saw an article about me in SEMA News as he was starting Dub Magazine. Gave me a call, came down, said, "Hey, I'd like you to I'd I'd like to get your advice and." Kind of came alongside him miles was one of these guys with a hundred great ideas so all we had to do is get him focused down to 10 of those great ideas <laughs> and he did some just um, outstanding stuff i mean dub with haytham uh his two partners were haytham and herman and 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 uh and of course miles and they just did a phenomenal job really changed the industry uh when they started the dub concert and show circuit and really uh kind of brought a whole new part of the industry to the forefront
1: it's funny because i mean i don't think i necessarily followed dub when it first came out but when i i, I remember buying the toys i remember when, they, <laughs> oh, when yeah. they would come out with the escalades and the and the, the chevys and they had the giant yeah. wheels i mean because i like i i've always loved this, you know the hot wheels and display cars and i had those things so I think you brought up an interesting point um, about SEMA. I think so many people in the automotive world just think you go down there to find parts, but it's about helping each other. There's, there's a huge wow. conferences and things that happen, and I wouldn't say in the backgrounds, but in, in the other conference halls and things like that. So um, I think that's kind of an interesting point. And I, I always want to say this to our listeners. Like if you're working in the automotive industry, one, you should be at SEMA. You should go down there. It's great context to be made. It's not just about going down. I mean, it is about going down and finding new products for your, your companies and things like that. Yeah. But there's a lot to learn there. So,
2: yeah, new products, new technology—it all starts at SEMA. Uh, you know, the automakers are still using it as a place to unveil uh, new products and and along with their lines of accessories. But great educational venue as well. I mean, we you know we provide a number of seminars. These seminars would cost you thousands and thousands of dollars, and the majority of them are free at the SEMA show to be able to. do. In fact, on Thursday at the SEMA show, I'll be doing a uh, a seminar. I've got some friends in the private equity space on how to really add value to your company and to be able to prepare your company for that ne- either the next generation or for it to be sold. And that's all, all part of my desire and, and almost everyone that I, I know seem to really be able to give back, right? SEMA and this industry has given me so much. I've been so blessed by it that for me to be able to give back and help some other folks and come alongside them is, is a real honor. That's
0: Awesome. What do you think uh, – what are you excited about most that, uh, that you've seen in, at SEMA or what's upcoming that you can talk about, I should say?
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things coming, a lot of new things. And, of course, this year, the brand-new thing, uh, kind of spearheaded by James Lawrence, our, our past chairman of the board, is SEMA Fest. So SEMA Fest is concerts, and uh, they'll have Nitro Mafia out there with, uh, with their motorcycles. We'll have drifting out there. It'll really be an event – targeted at consumers, right? To really get people engaged in our industry, we have all of these manufacturers there. And so we have all of these unbelievable amount of cars there. So how can we be able to deploy those cars, deploy these manufacturers in a way where we can drive consumers? Because ultimately that's what we're all here for, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we had, uh, what was it, about a month ago, we had RJ DeVera on, which was an incredible uh, interview mm-hmm. and talking to him about his job with Siemens things like that. So yeah, it was a lot of fun.
0: So um, there was a story you told, if I remember this right, at Concorso uh, about you and your wife driving. I think you were driving a Porsche. I know this story. You know this story? I know. I remember telling it. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear this story or I would love for our listeners to hear the story because it's one of my favorite memories from from being with you down there at uh, Concorso.
2: So, you know what? Rose is sitting right here. Oh, <laughs> even
0: better. Oh, even better. Yeah. Yeah. I think she should tell the story.
2: Rose, that would be great. On over. Come on. Yes. Come on, over here. come on. Come on. Come on. Please. Come on. So, Rose can tell the story better than I can. Uh, yeah. The, the,
1: head, the head of the Kawasaki household. Yes. Oh, I'm excited to hear Hello, this Rose. from your point it's good of view. This is see even you, better. my dear. Great hi, to see hi. you. Hi.
0: Hello gosh when he said that story at the uh, breakfast i was mortified i'm like what,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you, mean? you 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 had no control anyway i can't remember which Porsche this was mm-hmm. um and he was just driving really crazy and i'm i don't mind speed i like it but not to that extent where he was just going around the curves and kind of the the back end kind of swishes you know yeah i don't know which
1: slide you know? out a little bit out. yeah <laughs> yeah
0: and i thought oh my gosh, this is crazy. I thought, gosh, honey, you're such a good driver. And then he goes out later and says, what did you say? I did my best, but honestly, I had no idea. What he (laughs) was doing,
1: yeah.
0: All those turns and everything. Had I known, I would have said, stop. I'm getting out.
1: <laughs> I think one of the best things about that story is when he told that story in the room, I, I looked out and, and there was every other person in that room, male and female, were going, oh, I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. I've been, oh, I didn't tell my spouse how pucker factor it had got, she gotten kind of thing. So <laughs> yes. oh yeah, Yeah.
2: Right. Well, so yeah. So that car was a 930, Porsche. Yeah. And the one rule of a 930 is you never get out of the throttle. Never lift. If you ever lift, you're in such bad trouble, right? So we're in through the canyons. Uh, the thing starts drifting sideways. And I'm thinking, the only thing I'm thinking is I can't lift, right? But I have no idea if I'm going to make it around this corner or not. <laughs> I just need to scrub off enough speed that I can feel safe again. And uh, we get done with that. And she was like, wow, you are a great driver. And you are such a great driver. I, I can't believe I didn't know you could drive that good. And I said, yep.
1: <laughs> and <it was laughs> I didn't know it you could good. drive that good. Either did I. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> we both learned something was about me.
2: <laughs> was literally, at that breakfast in Concorso, yeah. was the first time that she or anybody else heard that I had absolutely no control over that car.
1: Oh, <laughs> I thought you had told her when you got out of the car. Even better. No. Well, yeah. I'm I'm glad to have been there then. Yes, that was uh, so awesome. funny. Yeah, absolutely. But so you know, I mean,
2: it's hilarious. I mean, yeah. I go to Concorso today, and that was years ago. I told that story, and literally. Every time I go to Concorso, five or six people come up to me and say, that was the best story in the world. And watching your wife's reaction was priceless. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, of, the, of the stories that have been told at Connected to Cars, I mean, that's number one. And I think this year, when we got Steve Saleen to talk about you know, doing 11s and flipping off Ferrari in the new, in the Ford GT, which we got, by the way, we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. We got him to tell the story. It was great. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. That was a great story. That was Loved absolutely it. awesome. So obviously, you know, you're doing the export business, um, you know, and I think it's funny because when I think about work, some of yeah. the stuff in, 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 in our generation, like we think about Fast and the Furious and importing everything, and, but you don't right. think about a lot of the American cars. I mean, they're big, like you said, in Scandinavia and, and uh, England we,
0: and things in, like Japan that. Now, in Japan now. Japan, you too. have a muscle car in Japan, you're going to turn some real hits. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: you've got to find a place Rose to park I,
2: it, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Rose and I just participated in the Nippon Rally in Japan. Okay. And literally had a factory original Shelby Cobra as one of the participants. So, wow. yeah, they really, really love muscle cars.
1: So, I don't know if I've actually heard of that rally. What, what is it? Where does it take place at?
2: Yeah, so the Nippon Rally takes place at a different location, and it started out just being in Japan. Except for in recent years, they have actually gone to Taiwan. They did one in. Uh, they did one in big sur in Northern California. But uh, a great rally and uh, just fun people, just great hanging out with car people. And uh, these guys go all out. I mean, there was a beautifully restored Mira SV as part of the rally. And so it was uh, it was fun to hang out with people. And, you know, the, the one thing I do find out and because of the experience with Exports International and traveling all over the world selling our parts, American parts, was that car guys are car guys no matter where they live right everybody yeah. wants to talk about their cars everybody wants to bench race and uh, everybody's fast friends and it really doesn't matter what you drive right it's just that if you're modifying a car they're just they're just in love with that and and that actually goes for boats too we did a lot of uh, in offshore boat racing both in australia and in japan as well
0: how did you get into the boat race? you said you'd been doing that all along you would back in yeah. the speed shop days but how did the boat racing come about i've, I've only I've, I've heard that from other car guys that i mean Big engine, yep. big boat, always fun. But how did you get into that?
2: Well, because all of the engine parts you use for a drag race car are the same engine parts basically you use in a boat. Uh, and then we were fortunate <laughs> enough to be uh, located, our first company, uh, in Tor- in, actually in Gardena. And we were right around the corner from Gentry Marine. So Tom Gentry, who was racing all the offshore powerboats, had engine building facilities there. And we we're supplying them. Which led to supplying more of the offshore powerboat racers in in North America, and then when we were we'd actually buy their used boats and sell them overseas.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, we
2: would of course continue to supply them supply them parts. So that's everybody wants to
1: be that. that wild, crazy American whipping across the water with you know barely touching it. <laughs> it is fun. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I, th- I don't you- know if I've actually ever been on one of those boats. I mean, I wouldn't stop it, but it. So, you know, you, sometimes my idea is some of you see some of those guys out there with a very small boat and a huge engine that it's basically they're sitting on top of the engine with a steering wheel, and I'm going, That's going to come out of the water. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know. and yeah. they do come out of the water, so yes, yes, yeah.
0: most definitely. Well, there was that one hydro this year, or was it last, or two we, years ago, We that did a backflip and kept going, yeah, yeah, he actually yeah. pulled off a full back, that was insane, but
1: we, yeah. do, we, we do have the between, or what is it, what's abort, a uh, what is the the? It's the hydroplane races up here, but it's during as I said, Seafair. summer. Sea fair, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like, oh, I, I know
2: those are unlimited hydroplanes. Yeah, those yeah, are jet yeah. So those are jet. But
1: I'm just you know that's as close as I got to seeing very right. fast boats. I should say. So you know, um interesting. So talk about your a little bit of your transition to in in with Coker Tire because I know you because you did that's you a were long like an, stint there huh? Long, you did stint. A long stint there as, as far as you oh, yeah. were executive vice president and then president chief operating officer, right?
2: Yeah. So yeah, so I, I started out with, I we had Exports International, right? We also did some acquisitions because we wanted to be in control of our destiny a little bit more, right? So we bought some manufacturing companies, started some manufacturing companies, kind of bundled all of that up. We actually separated Exports International, sold the manufacturing companies uh, to a strategic buyer. Uh, Rose kept running Exports International. She was kind of the heart and soul of that company anyway. And uh, I went on. And uh, at at the time, I was on the board of directors of SEMA. I was a, a regular board member working with Corky Coker. He was on the he was chairman of the board actually then, and uh, he had some manufacturing companies out on the West Coast that they were struggling with. So, uh, you know, Coker Tire is a contract manufacturer. They man, we manufacture our tires in a number of different part, uh, tire plants around the world, but not they never did actual manufacturing where they were the actual manufacturers. So, got there. We took companies based in uh, one in Chicago, one in uh, Fresno, California, which was Wheel Ventiques that I was able to acquire for the Coker Group at that time. And we built a purpose-built facility in City of Industry, California. So really kind of started from scratch and building this manufacturing base to be able to manufacture enough wheels to be able to put tires on them to help us sell more tires. Got it. That's kind of how that started, was able to be very successful uh, in that wheel business uh you wanted me to come out uh to chattanooga tennessee i said that will never happen <laughs> and uh, <laughs> i'm a los angeles kid and i want to stay a los angeles kid but uh you know kept talking talking finally said hey i, I really my plan is to retire we'll make you partner of the company and here we go so that's what i did went out uh, to chattanooga tennessee was able to do this a lot of the same things we did with wheel ventiques taking very entrepreneurial companies companies that were founder-led and really adding kind of what I call is adding science to the magic because they had some great magic going on. and We don't want to lose that magic, but we want to add a data-driven business acumen to that and really to take it to the next level. So that's what we we're able to do with Coker Tire. After a, a long stint, as you said, at uh, Coker Tire, we got together and decided, hey, now's the time to sell, uh, interviewed a bunch of uh, investment bankers, we went through the entire sale process, uh, ending up selling it uh, as legendary companies because we continued to acquire companies. We acquired companies both here in the United States and uh, I acquired a company in Germany, um, Münchener Oldtimer Reifen, which was the largest at the time distributor of vintage and classic car tires in Europe. So great way to kind of box all that up together. And we uh, had a very successful sale process. I stayed on as CEO for three years contractually. <laughs> when my uh, three years ended, uh, I uh, kind of got back out of the market, didn't want to retire, uh, but I wanted to stay involved. And that's when I took on first a board role with the Wheel Group and then ultimately to the executive chairman role.
0: Man, you have had quite the career <laughs> in the industry.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you mean Rose has had quite a career in this industry. Yeah, Rose has uh, so. had quite
2: a career in this industry, and I, I take all the credit for it. I, there you go.
1: <laughs> Talk about Obviously, we've we talked about SEMA a little bit, but, I mean, you didn't just start just with the, the young executives. You've worked, you worked your way up. You've, I mean, you're still working with SEMA. Obviously, you're going to SEMA in a different capacity now, right, because you're actually yeah. presenting.
2: Yeah. So, um, yeah, started off on the – I spent – I don't know, 20 something years on the board of directors on literally every seat on the board of directors from, you know, chairmaning their governance uh, committee, which really it was one of the things that I did uh, during my time at SEMA is really added good governance process uh, within what we did. SEMA grew exponentially during that time, had a wonderful staff led by Chris Kirsting, and uh, they just did a great job. And uh, but we, we definitely needed to add some good governance processes and systems to be put in place uh that got done was exciting time for me uh was secretary treasurer to mitch williams who was the chairman and then ultimately was elected to chairman of the board uh, so did a couple stints of SEMA show chairman so it, it was interesting because i got to see the SEMA show from all sides right as an exhibitor owning manufacturing companies as a buyer with exports international because we're buying these products and shipping them overseas and then from the show management side is a SEMA show uh, chairman for two uh, two years, and then of course as, as chairman of the board. So very very uh, kind of well rounded understanding of what SEMA did and and really how much SEMA can help you uh, in your company in the automotive aftermarket really uh, to succeed and prosper. I'm currently the executive director of our political action committees, both the SEMA PAC and the PRI PAC. As you know, uh, uh, we are also acquired the PRI show. Brought it back to Indianapolis where it belonged, and uh, that show is uh, thriving as well. So on the political action side, very excited about being able to raise the money to make sure that our businesses don't get legislated out of business.
0: Yeah, which is a real concern right now because they seem a little aggressive and a little not well thought out. Um, yep. As far as when they're they're doing things right now, and they I've seen we've already started to see some backpedaling on getting things you know electrify everything and like well we can't support yep. that with our time frame we committed. <laughs> as so. long as we have lots of diesel generators to run those car chargers, we're going to be yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: yeah, you know,
0: yeah. Um, you obviously are a car guy. You have been since you were a kid, and I, I've got to ask you. You've got a, a pretty impressive collection, as far as what little I know, um, but as you have walked the floors at SEMA all these years, has there ever been, or I'm sure there has been, but have there been a few times where you've come across a product or a booth where you've looked at that and said, that's going to change the industry? Like just that, that flash moment where you see something and you're like, oh, that that's it right there.
2: Yeah. You know what? It's almost constantly, right? That happens nearly every year. Uh, You know, when we survey uh, buyers that come to the SEMA show we ask them you know why do you come to the SEMA show and literally every year nearly every year the number one reason is new technology so that's the exciting thing is how we've continued to evolve we have a huge EV section this year that you guys will take a look at and it'll provide kits to electrify vehicles and uh, to be able to keep all these vehicles on the road although Probably not a, a myself a big fan of electrification. I just don't think we have the power grid in the United States or overseas to be able to support the amount of electrification that they're deeming. I, I think probably hydrogen is a, is a cleaner answer, cleaner to build, cleaner to run. You can run ICE engines on hydrogens, and hopefully hydrogen fuel cell technology will keep on moving forward, so we'll be able to utilize that too. But definitely room for all of it at the SEMA show.
0: I think Toyota is banking on that as well, because Toyota has been pretty oddly vocal, even though they have quite the electrification range. And we, we, when we think Toyota, we think the Prius, of course. Yeah. But Toyota has been pretty vocal about how they don't think electric is the future. Um, they,
2: and- they certainly are. And, I, and I'll go with them. I mean, they ha- have the longest running and sold and of electric vehicles uh, with the Pri- Prius and electric hybrids. and uh, But they still think that the the way forward is hydrogen. So yeah and i oh, would yeah, like
1: to, i'd like to thank him for all the priuses um <laughs> <laughs> left lane priuses uh dan and i are a big fan of this and i'd and love seeing that the the development is the overlanding sections that have come into yeah. SEMA. and I mean, yeah and we're, we're both big you know love to take our rigs in, and i think that's a really neat 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 segment and i always love when i going to see or seeing SEMA or going to SEMA and seeing what the car of the year is like you know when, yeah. when the Z came out and the, everybody and everybody took them and, and, and did them and things like that. So it's, it's amazing. I mean, if you're, if you're not going, you're not in the car industry. I mean, when SEMA starts and, and Instagram and Facebook starts getting flooded with this stuff and the products. And then, I mean, I know for a fact, I've seen things on, on Facebook and I've just been, hounding companies i'm like when is this coming out when is this coming you know mm-hmm. back in the day i think it was when warren got together and they were putting winches on the front of subarus and i was just all over them I'm like when is it happening and they're like we just got back from sema we'll answer your questions we promise you like you know, <laughs> i mean they knew my first name so yeah
2: <laughs> yeah and, and we're 100 behind that revolution yeah. in this overlanding space it is a phenomenal space uh, of course, one of the companies under the TWG umbrella is Tough Stuff Overland, as well as Body Armor that sells a lot of products uh, within the overlanding space. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you, and, and Rose will back me up, literally 30 minutes before uh, we started this podcast, I was out uh, working on our overlanding rig, and uh, which will be in the overlanding uh, area at the SEMA show. So nice. definitely a big thing, definitely going to uh, continue to be a big thing. We were, we worked the Overland Expo in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is their largest and was astounded uh, by mm-hmm. the number of people out there. But the best thing about this for the automotive aftermarket is it was young people, right? Yeah, yeah. You, know, you go to car shows, you go to Concourse d'Elegance, it's all old guys like me. What we want to <laughs> see is those young people, people pushing strollers, and they're spending a lot of money modifying their vehicles really for that utilitarian experience that they can have out in the wild. And I'll tell you, it's a great part of our business, a very growing segment of our industry.
1: Well, I mean, I mean, and also a lot of the younger industry is living in it now. These, I mean, these rebel, right. rebel vans and things like that in the Mercedes people are going, well, I can be anywhere. I can yeah. have this nomadic life, which is really cool.
2: Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I, couldn't just... do the, I couldn't do the, the uh, Mercedes van or the Ford transit. So I have a uh, E350 eight and a half inch lifted, uh ford van that uh sweet yeah got our That'll overhead and awnings and kc lights on it and nice yeah, we just love it our of course our dirty life beadlock wheels and then our our amp tires are on that thing as well so uh, it's uh it's definitely a, a fun rig uh you got to go check it out in the overlanding area
1: is are you guys just finishing up the build or is this something you guys have had i don't think we've ever spoken about
2: this no we we haven't in, in fact okay. i just je- i had it partially finished Last year. So it was in the overlanding section last year. And we're very honored that Men's Fitness Magazine uh, chose it as one of the top 10 overlanding builds uh, at the SEMA show. And so nice. and now the build is actually completed. Uh, it's going to go on a transport here next Monday and be transported out to the SEMA show. Awesome.
1: Yep. yeah completed great i mean we're car people you can say it yeah it's completed <laughs> until it gets back home and something new comes yeah, but yeah.
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> or you go to sema and see all the stuff you want to put in it now yeah and it's funny i was
0: just talking to somebody who messaged us on our on our uh our voicemail and text line we have a we you can call the show it's 425-298-7873 about uh but he's got an r1 uh t he's doing sliders and he's doing the mm. lab there i was i was sending him some uh <laughs> BDR routes right before the show. I wanted to ask you about something though, because you are in the political action committee. This is something that's really important. Um, did you hear about the 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 trail closure at Moab that just happened? No, I did
2: not. I and 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 I'm sorry, I did not. And, and I should get up to speed on that because I'll tell you, I love that Easter Jeep Safari at Moab. That is one of the funnest events that I've ever been to. So. Why don't you tell me about it?
0: So Gemini Bridges area just got shut down at Moab uh, due to a long, long, long running back and forth. And there's still there's still a bunch of political action around it. But Moab is one of those areas that's greatly under attack. Uh, Same Mm. with um, what's the dunes in California. Um, That one got actually expanded because do they did a scientific study people had this is great i love it when stuff like this backfires somebody said (laughs) that the off-road vehicles were causing more and more damage well it turned out when they stopped letting the off-road vehicles in nobody was cleaning up the areas they were going through anymore and so they reopened an area of the dunes in california well moab is kind of going through the same process where Mm. what has happened is um And this is, this part upsets me is that we've seen a lot of the rental companies go out there and people get kind of nuts and go off trail. And so they ended up shutting down a huge area of Moab, huge area of Moab, almost 300 square miles outside of Moab. And if you've been to Moab and that area, you know, it is overlanding and off-roading and crawling and everything outdoor heaven because you have arches and canyonlands for national parks for hiking. You have, you know, you can take a full day drive there and be on one trail and not even touch the other, you know, hundred that are right next to you. So like, These areas are really important. They're critically important to our industry. What was their
1: Um, reason for shutting it down?
0: uh, There's just been a long running, um, they're saying impact of off-roading to the area, um, which...
1: Which is funny, because if if you go to Moab, you know where to drive, because everybody drives in the same point. Nobody's really driving off the trail. (laughs) Well... (laughs)
0: yeah well, they're not supposed to at least there are areas that they do and I, i'm not gonna yeah. I, I will never not say there are there are not those bad people out there but for those of us that actually enjoy this we hate them more than you do because it shuts down our
1: industry okay. i'll say <laughs> it. it's the people renting the side by sides
0: yeah they for not, the most yeah. part that's a large okay. part of it and so one of the one of the things that people had seen was that um well overlanding is picked up but the problem is that people are going very unprepared into areas they're not supposed to and then causing damage <laughs> trying to get out fair um, right. which is true. Um, but at down. the same time, we are all, I mean, those of us who use these lands, like I, I love going to Moab, as you know, um, the last thing I want to do is go off the trail because I want to go explore more and more and more. Like the, if I break the rules, that just hurts me. And so <laughs> right. it's, it's like hunters and hunting. They, they're more advocates for the animals than anybody else because if we don't have them, they can't go hunt yeah. them. Fishermen yeah. are the same way. Yep. It's the rule breakers we yeah, don't absolutely. want. So, yeah. And, and so I, you,
2: I, I can't understand that, that desire for these folks to go off the trails. The trails are terrifying enough. <laughs> yeah, if you've been <laughs> to Moab, I don't know how much I don't want to go off the trails over there.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's Jurassic a- Park put it best: stay in the car. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely one of those areas you go off the trail. I'm like, I might, I might
1: die if I go off the trail right. in Moab. <laughs> I don't think I want to do that. Well, I think, and I mean, we've seen this in the automotive industry, uh, in a whole, a lot of inexperience. people that you know, it's like walking to the nissan dealership and you've never driven a high-speed car and buying a gtr it's like maybe we don't do that maybe we work our way up you know or you know it i mean i've done it myself where i've been out overlanding and stuff like that and then i realized that i had forgotten something that i needed i mean it's you will always forget something but i mean yeah it's it, it causes an issue everybody thinks they're better than they are i mean me included i'm like i, I don't know do what this you're by, talking about i've never had to call dan and be like can you drive up here <laughs>
0: So, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well i mean just uh this is one of those things people need to educate themselves on this is a gr- i'm glad that there's a political action side of sema i mean I know, I know there has been for a long time but like these are the issues that come up where sema can really help us out and it's not just overlanding it's it's keeping our, our racetracks up you know somebody you know we've had the problem here oh you bought you bought a house next to the racetrack and you're complaining about the noise maybe you should have looked out the back window before you bought it i mean <laughs> i think we've actually talked about that wade
1: and i outside of the the car, connected cars, the fact these people around Laguna Seca and they're whining because yeah. it sounds like a race car. Like you bought a house next to a racetrack. Like <laughs>
2: I would die to live on a racetrack,
1: <laughs> you know. So yeah,
2: me as well. I I agree. And thanks for bringing it up Moab. We have a, a number of different pack um, cocktail parties and pack events at the SEMA show. And I'd love to introduce you to Karen Bailey Chapman, our new vice president. And uh, she would love to sit and chat with you. You know, we, we came alongside Save the Salt, right, for Bonneville Salt Flats mm-hmm. and got some, uh, some great work done there and, and returning the salt to the salt flats and uh, getting those areas of Moab uh, open back up would be, uh, would be a big coup as well. Uh, that's a lot of our industry uh, is utilizing those trails. And without those trails, it, it's pretty tough.
1: Gee, I wonder what does more damage to the salt, drowning on it or having Burning Man there? <laughs> different area no what i'm saying yeah same thing.
0: yeah no um yeah there's a a misconception i think in when you're outside of the industry especially you especially in off-road it's tracks are one thing but people race on the tracks, so it's like you there's not going to do a lot of damage outside of there but off-roading there's a a big misconception that i've noticed growing up in it because i've always done that motorcycles i grew up with motorcycles too is Mm -hmm. that that, you know, people are going to damage these areas. We're like, no, we actually want them as clean and preserved as possible. Right. <laughs> we want more of them, but we want them very, very well-maintained. Very, Like right. you go up to the Rubicon and stuff. It's like, it's one of the more well-maintained areas in the country, actually. Because they'll pull out. I mean, I've done, I've put together off-road cleanups where we go out into the woods oh, right. and we we pick up, you know, stolen vehicles and trash. I did a a long time ago, I was working in a motorcycle shop. And I said, you know, anytime he brought me a bag of trash, I would give him a free hot dog and a drink. And oh, wow. I ran out of hot dogs yeah. and the local we that's were- when he's
1: Dan started dancing. So yeah, you know, we good. were up in Skagit <laughs> County,
0: In Skagit <laughs> County. I had to call the county because I needed them to bring out a larger dumpster because we had two <laughs> regular truck dumpsters. I'm like, no, no, no. I need like the kind that goes on the entire bed of the truck. because They said they support it because people, the Jeep club started dragging out stolen cars many of them and they're like they're they were like we don't know how to get this stuff out of here now (laughs) like you brought out all the trash what do we do with it or like well and i think wait maybe you can speak
1: to this too a lot of this issue we have in the automotive community is people outside the automotive community telling us what we're going to do. We're going to drive electric cars. We're not going to drive off road that have never done it. they you know, right. a good example is uh, there was that Senator that decided she was going to prove the electric cars were great. Uh, she broke down, they char- they, they broke a charger, all this stuff. So <laughs> uh, talk a little, actually talk a little bit about that and on, on, on how you got into that area and, and why yeah. you
2: enjoy that if you could. Yeah. So, you know, A lot of what happens happens in Washington, D.C. And we got to be very careful with what going on, what goes on there. I mean, I don't think it's a surprise to you two. It may be you some of your listeners. But basically, Washington, D.C. is run by 26-year-old staffers, right? They're the ones that are reading the bills. They're the ones that are going over these things. And and many of them. So we have a a Washington, D.C. event every other year. We bring SEMA members to Washington, D.C. We make appointments with their members of Congress, their members in, in the Senate. Most of the time we're meeting with the staffers. A lot of times we are meeting with the member, but even but the really important meetings are the meetings with the staffers because they're really the ones driving the agenda. And as you talk to these 26, 27 year old staffers, they're brilliant. They're super smart. Most of them don't even have a driver's license. So they've never experienced what we experience. So it gives the opportunity for our members to be able to talk about the experience, talk about what drives their passion, why they do it. And it's not just about burning dead dinosaurs, that it's kind of it is truly the American way. Right. It's it's being American, being able to modify your vehicle, whether you're modifying it for performance or utilitarian, like in the overlanding segment. You know, It's about our freedom to be able to personalize our vehicles so they become an extension of ourselves. And, and I think the more people that get involved in that and start talking to their friends and, Dan, thank you for arranging cleanups because it's things like that that really move the needle and people see that and it really changes minds. Good yeah. job,
0: Dan. Oh, thanks. I do more. I wish I could do more of it. With all that free time I have. Yeah, right? I really did enjoy. I really do enjoy it. It's a back it's, when we had one job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, where do? You, what area do you think needs the most attention right now in the industry, uh, as far from the political side?
2: Yeah. So I, I think have, being able to not only handle technology, but I, I think technology is in two parts right now. The first part is business technology. Right. I mean, we really have to help our members improve their business technology. So because, you know, our competitors aren't each other. Right. Our competitors are LCD TVs, their barbecues, their patio furniture, they're all the things that people spend their money on that they don't have to. Because remember, nobody needs anything we sell right? Nobody yeah, needs true. A single thing we sell. It's a People, want.
1: Yeah. Right. People
2: yeah. want what we sell. And so we really need to keep up that passion. But in order to do that, we need to keep up technology wise, like you guys with this podcast, you guys are kind of keeping up technology and trend wise to be able to spread the good news about the automotive aftermarket to a whole a different audience than we've ever had before. So thank you both for for doing that and becoming a part of that kind of machine that we're looking for. And the other part of technology is vehicle technology, right? Vehicle technology has just, astronomically changed over the last, even if you just look at the last 10 years. And so we've not only got our SEMA garage in Diamond Bar, California, but we're also just opened the SEMA garage up in Detroit. And that's really to help our members deal with the advanced technologies that are available now and to make sure that our products are safe to be able to bolt onto those those vehicles.
0: Yeah, vehicles have become a lesson in software. Are you partial? Are you it's part-time being an automotive technician, a.k.a. mechanic, and part right. being a software engineer. Right. Because, and they really are because, I mean, you know, tuning is such a huge deal now. You can unlock so much power and efficiency out of engine trans, and transmission, for that matter. Yep. Just-
1: I miss the old days when I had a 72 Ford F100 and I could open the hood and crawl into there. And if it started raining, I could close the hood and still be in the engine bay working <laughs> on it. So, <laughs> you know, the good old days. But uh, Well, now you can convert it to You can do that anymore. yeah no it's like you know you pop your hood and you're like there's so much plastic and if I touch anything it's gonna explode so
0: yeah (laughs) which is good it's funny because I mean I've seen I've been watching videos on YouTube we Nick and I joke a lot about being uh, YouTube-certified mechanics. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, it's like, hey, how to repair your power cells and how to solder your batteries connector when you have a bad cell. How, nope. to, not re- how to not lose it's the how whole to stack. How to explode. No. And <laughs> it was, yeah, it was funny because uh, I was watching a video actually on tools, and they were talking about power stack technology and DeWalt tools and Milwaukee tools. It was from the Torque Test channel. Yeah. And they made a reference that I never thought of before, and they said, it's really just like a Tesla battery pack. If you pull it down, it's just on a smaller scale. And it was funny that they made the reference because I was like, I've never thought of it that way. Is that the, a tool stack now compares to a car? Yeah. And I'm going to use tool work with the car. It was just a, a funny thing to think about a, a skill that you never thought you would need to learn. Your to Raptor
1: do. will not run on the Dewalt batteries. I'm telling you that right now. I don't now, know. So. My, my <laughs> vacuum does now. I
0: converted your, my. Va- I saw I converted, that. Yeah, I converted, I saw I converted my Dyson vacuum to run on my Dewalt That's, batteries. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway.
2: Amazing. Nice. Oh I'm, man. I'm a Makita guy. I, I love all my Makita. Oh, I'm, mil- I'm Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> My son is
0: Milwaukee. So I, okay. I knew I've liked him since I met him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Well, wade um we hope you come up here and visit. I don't know how often you get up here, but we, you know, we'd always love to host you. We'd always love to have you. If you ever need a place to go, you know, we, we always have an open door for you. We love working uh, with you. We I, love I talking would, to you. We'd
2: love to do that. I've been telling our, our friend, our mutual friend, Bruce Wanta, I'll be up there uh, and uh, check out his collection. I'll check you guys out. But, uh, would really look forward to doing that. Yeah.
0: We're we're talking to Bruce on November fourth. Yeah, yeah, November fourth. We're not, not going to record it, but no, we're, no, we're, we're doing, doing a, a, Bruce, a so, Avance yeah. member uh, talk with Bruce with the oh, Avance nice. team. Yeah, so that's a great Small guy world. That's a great yep. car guy, man. I mean, so if sorry. you have, have,
1: you been, to, have you been to his collection at all? I have not. Oh, you you got to go sometime. It's so fun. It's so fun. I mean, it's not just cars, but yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's so very you gotta cool come up stuff. Here. Yeah
0: yeah and um and I live uh dirtfish is my neighbor I can literally if the after in the fall when all the leaves are off the trees, I can oh, actually so hear now? them running uh, yeah, I can hear them running the course during the day, yeah oh nice. And, and I yeah. love it. Like they're literally my neighbors, and I love it. It's the best. I go down there and visit uh, the Rimmers and Josie, and bring them donuts occasionally.
1: Don't worry. We'll talk to Rose. We'll get it on the schedule. We'll get okay. you up here. Don't. Yeah. Oh yeah. You yeah. should tell Rose.
0: Yeah. She, yeah. So. she she can go drift a car in the dirt and it like yeah. actually intentionally do yeah, it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> she can drive you around.
1: Well, yeah. and, Wait.
2: As, as both of you know, that's the secret. You get to Rose. She controls my schedule. <laughs>
1: that works. That works. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know we've been trying to do this for uh, probably a couple of years, just yeah, get everybody in the same people. place. So thank you, thank you.
0: So, uh, as always for the this episode of the avance Podcast, I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.